Morning, church. All right, so happy fall kickoff Sunday. Um, hopefully that clears up any pre-meal prayer confusion that our church has, uh, because like uh, Kathy and Pastor Don mentioned, uh, today is the start of our new ministry year, and we are also uh, launching an emphasis particularly on the practice of prayer. Uh, we are calling it for five weeks here, Plug and Pray. Uh, this is similar to... Last fall, when we uh, tried to uh, do an emphasis on marriage, so we synced up the teaching series with a bunch of our small groups. We're trying to do the same thing again. This fall, we've asked all of our co-ed community groups to work through simultaneously a curriculum on prayer that we've provided. Um, And here's the reason. We're putting so much emphasis. This is the start of the year, right? So we're saying we we really want to be about this for this ministry year. Here's why we're putting the emphasis on prayer. Because, here's the thesis, our fellowship with God finds its principal expression in the practice of prayer. Our fellowship with God finds its principal expression in the practice of prayer. Because when you think about it, There's a lot of disciplines in the Christian life that we can engage with. Singing to God, we were just doing. Um, Service in a variety of ministries. Study of God's word. um, Sharing the gospel with others. Sacrificially sharing time, talent, treasure. But listen, all of that is subordinate to this. Because what we are on our knees before God, that's what we really are. And really, nothing else. And when you think about it, sooner or later, everybody prays. You're free to disagree with that statement. That is fine. But when everything hits the fan, prayer almost becomes a reflex. Um, There's something in us that wants to cry out to someone above us. Uh, Mark Twain is a great example of this. Awesome author ardent unbeliever by his own admission when his wife was very sick and the man as far as I know died an unbeliever but when his wife was very very sick quote I prayed and prayed and prayed like a dog now it will come as little surprise to you that your pastor wants us as a church family to try and move past a little bit move past just the break glass in case of emergency type prayers. I want us to move past just the um, cup of soup prayers. Or was it bowl of soup? Either one. But if we're going to be a church family committed to prayer, then we've got we to gotta find a way to get some teaching and to get some practice. But that's hard. Because when it comes to teaching on prayer, we're all just so busy And when it comes to the practice of prayer, quite frankly, many of us are going to be downright terrified to walk into a prayer meeting for the very first time. Because we might be asked to pray out loud. Ah! We go into the prayer gathering. We might be asked to hold hands. And now you have to quickly assess before you circle up who here is most likely to have sweaty palms. But it's a problem because I've learned over the years, sweaty palm people often do not appear like they would be sweaty palm people. And even if you get stuck beside the person who does not have sweaty palms, that person might be the squeezer, the pumper. You know this person? (laughs) 
if you're brand new to Christianity, by the way, it's, it's kind of acceptable at the end of the prayer that we give one final squeeze at the amen. That's normal. But then there's also those people, they just squeeze the entire time with increasing intensity as the intensity of their prayer goes up. And you don't know what to do. So when you think about it, if you've never been to a prayer meeting before, the first time you go, the chances of being stuck next to either a sweater or a squeezer are quite high. Once I got stuck next to a sweaty squeezer. (laughs) That's the worst. It's like a moist heartbeat the whole time. (laughs) So what do we do? (laughs) If it's true, if it's true that our fellowship with God finds its principal expression in prayer, how shall we learn to pray? Glad you asked. Luke chapter 11. Little Bob Dylan for Pastor Carl's benefit here. Or if you like the good version, Guns and Roses. Luke 11. I'm encouraged that, that Jesus' own disciples urged upon him instruction for how to pray. Which he, of course, readily gave. So we're in the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible and you need to use one of the church Bibles, this is on page 869. And as we read through this, I suspect for many, the first part of this is going to be quite familiar. Maybe the second part of this, less so. Beginning at verse 1, hear now the very word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father... We just rest on that for a minute. (laughs) Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. So three headers to help us walk through the text here. If you want to pencil these in, we try and leave space in the program that you should have received at the door. I want to explain the illustration, try and make some application, and then consider 
the expectation. So that's, that's the outline. Illustration, application, expectation. Beginning with the first one, we need to explain, at least briefly, the illustration, uh, because at first glance, this story seems both long ago and far away. How many of us have ever been awoken in the middle of the night by a friend who just needs bread? <laughs> How many of us live in a one-room house with all the kids sharing the bed or scattered around us on mats? Alistair Begg points out that in the ancient Near East, hospitality was a sacred duty. So, during the day, hot, arid climate, front doors, they would always be left open. Closed door meant your you know, family's closed for business. Sun was up, doors open, sun goes down, door gets closed, time for privacy has come. Average home in the average village would be one room, uh, earth-beaten floor uh, covered with maybe rushes or reeds. Charcoal fire in the evenings would be the focal spot for um, cooking and conversation and, and gathering. So when Jesus speaks here on how to pray, just understand that's the image that would immediately be envisioned by the typical first century listener. Also, I need to point out that in this context, uh, midnight was not 12 a.m. Midnight was actually middle of the night, whatever the sun pattern was at that time of year. Because in an agrarian culture, sleep cycles closely follow the sun. Um, So point being in this little parable, along about verse 5, this dad who's asleep in this house, he's like three and a half, four hours into his sleep. You know, he's like smack in the middle of REM sleep. And then he gets awoken up. Also in verse 7, for those of us who have raised small children, we will appreciate the fact that you don't wake up children after they've fallen asleep. Like, ever. (laughs) But this guy, this guy's friend, he does. He comes to knock on a closed door at midnight. And note, the man making the request here doesn't have an emergency. I think that's, I think that's a, a significant point. This is not an emergency situation. This is not a man saying, hey, my wife has fallen down, whacked her head, and she's bleeding out her ears. This is a guy coming and saying, hey, so we had some unexpected guests show up. And we're out of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Can you help me? Here, at midnight. Fortunately, the guy who was woken up and wants his kids to not be woken up is such a dandy friend, he hops right out of bed, he hands his friend the requested bread, and he softly sings as he departs, keep shining, keep smiling, knowing you can always count on me. That's what friends are for. In good times. And bad times. I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. I think to myself, if no sermon's really complete until you've worked in both Axl Rose and Dion Warwick. <laughs> but then you take a closer look at the text and think, ah, oh, actually, Dion Warwick might not be a good fit here. Because it turns out this story is not what a, it's not a that's what friends are for kind of moment. Jesus' parables. If you're brand new to the Bible, Unfamiliar. Jesus' parables, they always somewhere in there, they have a twist. They got a sting. And this one, it comes around verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, what's that word? Impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So that's where we got to hang out, because now we have from verse 8 to verse 9, that's where we make the shift from the illustration to the application. 
start of verse 9, and I tell you, in Greek that's called a henoclause, it advances the argument. This is Jesus looking at his disciples saying, okay guys, I can see it in your eyes, you understand the story that I just told, now let me explain it to you. And church, this application is every bit as relevant for us today as it was then. So here it is. This is what I wrote down. There is no midnight for God. There is no midnight for God. So be bold enough to bother him. Remember parables like this one. They're similar to allegory, but they're not exactly the same thing. For instance, uh, if you know your Old Testament, you can think Song of the Vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, you can read that this afternoon if you're not familiar. That's kind of a pure allegory where pretty much every element in it, has, it corresponds to a spiritual truth. That's an allegory. This is a parable. Parables are different because in parables, we go immediately wrong if we try and find a spiritual point for every single element in there. The po- for instance, the point of this parable is not that, that, that Jesus is not our friend and that he wants to keep on sleeping even when we bother him. There's one main point in each parable. For this parable, here's the point. There is no inconvenient time for our Heavenly Father. There is no midnight for God. So be impudent. The Greek behind that word impudent is anadea. Translation, audacious, bold, shameless impertinence. Church, by the authority of the Bible upon which I stand, can I invite you to pray with the tenacity of a sixth grade girl who wants an iPhone? (laughs) Something of which I know a little bit about. Can I invite you to pray with the passion of an 11th grade boy who somehow got a date with a girl way out of his league? And he really needs the car keys, like now. See, at his core, prayer is being connected to God. Our fellowship with God finds its principal expression in the practice of prayer. It's all about connection. That's what we call it plug and pray. Not that God's our, you know, like the power source. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that illustration, but, but because we, we plug in, we connect with God, this is, this is the principal way that it happens. You and I live today in a society where ostensibly we love to be connected. We call it FaceTime and texting and social media, and yet somehow when it comes to this, this central piece of the Christian faith, we, we, we rather make it, instead of fundamental, we end up just relegating this practice to, to that which is supplemental. Prayer becomes, for many of us, for dinner salads or heart attacks. And that's about it. But here, in the passage that you and I are reading this morning, we have, I mean, it's as clear a language as Jesus can place it. The King of Kings is telling us, God delights in those who bother him. God delights in those who bother him. Be bold enough to bother him. A primary ingredient in Christian prayer is outrageous audacity. And if your background is kind of that 
um, choir robe and stained glass Christianity where it's all reverence but very little joy. If any of you came up in that, this, this will come as a bit of a shock to you that God says, I want prayers that are outrageously audacious. I want that attitude driving your prayers. And that's what he's telling us. Remember the Sunday school song? Ask, 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 and it shall be given. Seek, 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 and you shall find. Knock, 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 and the door will be. Do you guys know this song? Oh my gosh, you sinners. Did you even go to Sunday school? (laughs) (laughs) There's no one Lutheran in the crowd, anybody. All right. I think sometimes the best theology is in kids' songs uh, because the verbs in verse 9, if you've kept your Bibles open, that's what's called the, the present continuous imperative, which is simply a fancy way of saying what it translates out is not ask and you're finished, you know, one and done, but ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. You don't have to turn there, uh, but in Luke 18, there's a parallel story to this one. might have even come to the minds um, for some of you who know your New Testament. It's called the parable of the persistent widow, where this woman keeps going and going and going to the local magistrate, the judge, and the judge says, quote, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. That's the parable. And then Jesus explains it, and he says, quote, So will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? (laughs) Folks, there is no midnight for God. So be bold enough to bother him. Some of us came in today and we're immediately thinking about the Patriots game. And we can do that because life is pretty, pretty steady right now. Others of us came in with a world of heartache on our shoulders. Every Sunday, there's folks who come into this room, and we don't always know their story, but they come with a world of heartache on their shoulders. And I want to say to you, my friend, God is inviting you to be bold enough to bother him a lot, audaciously, outrageously, impertinent is one of those synonyms. Because who walks up to a closed door you know, and taps it once? <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I hear a single solitary thump in the middle of the night, I just assume one of my kids probably fell off their bed and I immediately go back to sleep. <laughs> but, but this bold, persistent, constant, kind of annoying, knocking, that's what... That's the model that Christ himself gives us if you read the Gospel of Luke. And then same author, Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. The theme is carried out, but just in Luke, just for time's sake, just in Luke, without ever leaving this Gospel, Luke chapter 3, we see Jesus praying at his baptism. Luke chapter 4, Jesus praying through his temptations. Luke 5, it says Jesus often went alone to pray. Luke 6, before choosing his disciples, Jesus spent the entire night praying. Luke 9, Jesus spent the afternoon in prayer. Luke 11, where we are right now, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Luke 22, Jesus commands disciples to pray so that they don't fall into temptation. Luke 23, Jesus' last breath at the hour of his death upon the cross was a prayer. (laughs) Jesus models 
what he's teaching here. That there is no midnight for God. So be bold enough to bother him. Don't treat as supplemental that which is designed to be fundamental. All right. Now let's get real. For those in this room who would not describe themselves as a Christ follower, and first off, can I say thank you for joining us um, and thank you for giving us a hearing. But you came on a good day because if there is a Christian in your life who irritates you, I would now like to offer some advice on how you can irritate them back. There's an old adage. If you want to embarrass a Christian, ask them to describe their prayer life. Because far too many of us, we just don't have much of one. We claim a spiritual maturity that we do not possess because we spend so little time in the fundamental discipline of prayer. I mean, we'll run our mouths all day long, but when we're alone with God, where do the words go? It's not because of time. Everybody makes time for the things that matter to them. You're a bright enough church, you should know that. Everybody makes time for the things that matter to them. I want to submit to you for your consideration this morning. But there's, there's really two reasons that Christians, people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, they're, they're clinging to the, the finished work of Jesus upon the cross in our place. There's really two main reasons that Christians don't pray. I'm going to take these in ascending order. Here's the secondary reason that we don't pray. This is number two on the list. Because prayer, at its core, is a declaration of, of dependence. And biblical prayer is asking for stuff. Certainly it's that. It's also an admission of guilt. It's also an admission of helplessness, need for God's grace, need for his mercy. And for some of us, even who have made a profession of faith, the months and the years go by, and that that whole declaration of dependence, it just doesn't sit well with us. Yeah, I'll give a shout in case of ovarian cancer or the next school shooting. We'll pray, certainly. But this daily, hourly dependence on God. I don't know. We're Americans, not Americans. I'm a DIY kind of guy. Can I ask? Is that attitude at all? Be honest with me. Is it ring true for you? Did you suspect at all that you, you might be slipping into not an overt atheism, you'd never actually say that, but a, but a functional one, a functional atheism, where you're kind of living, by and large, as if there is no God there? Because I promise you, when that's the path we're on, prayer is the very first thing to go. Okay, so that's the secondary reason that we don't pray, or we don't pray very much. Because prayer is a declaration of dependence, and many of us prefer independence. But that's not the primary reason. The primary reason that we don't pray is because we're just not confident it works. We're just not confident prayer works, however we define works. That's the real reason I chose to start a sermon series on prayer with Luke 11. 
Because that's the very objection that Jesus is addressing here. You notice that? He explains to his disciples how to pray. He gives them a model, not a mantra. He gives them a model for prayer. And then he immediately goes to where many of our minds will go, but does it work? Let me show you. We got illustration, we got application, and then we got expectation. That's the last one on your outline. What expectation does Jesus say I should have if I take time to pray? Verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The number one doubt that's in many of our minds was in the disciples' minds too. And Jesus responds, even before they have opportunity to ask it, he's basically saying, hey, guys, your heavenly father is far more willing to bless than you are to ask. And I want you to note how at verse 11, that metaphor shifted, right? Because earlier in the parable, we were just talking about two friends. I'm not sure they were even that great of friends. But now, in verse 11, what are we talking about? (laughs) To drive the point home, now Jesus is talking about a dad and his kid. If you're brand new to the Bible, this is called the doctrine of adoption, what's being alluded to here. How we we don't pray for our friend who art in heaven. We don't pray our judge who art in heaven. We pray our father who art in heaven. Prayer, church, is this tugging on God's sleeve. Spiritual adoption, it actually, it looks in many ways much like what we see with our own eyes and uh, families in our church who have adopted, families in our, in our community because it's not, it's not a change of behavior or a change of nature. Not at first anyway. Adoption is a change of status. Once you were an orphan, but now you are a child of God. Once you were not his people, but now you are his people. Now, we're given access. We're we're beckoned. Just walk right on into the throne room. He'll be happy to see you. Because there's no midnight for God. So be bold enough to bother him. J.D. Greer is a preacher um, in the Carolinas. He says, my kids know how to wear me out asking for something repeatedly. For them, no is not an answer. It's an invitation to an extended negotiation in which they're well aware I will eventually crumble. It's the start of a siege. And now we have the, we have the God of creation inviting his people to the same thing to bow our heads, close our eyes, and cry out to a father who never gives shabby substitutes. You know, a snake instead of a fish. Come on. 
scorpion instead of an egg. It's not going to happen. It's like the street vendor you saw selling the uh, Vera Bradley bags. They were only $7. So you grabbed a couple. You went home. And you said, babe, look what I got you. She said, thanks. And then she cocked her head and she said, is Bradley spelled with an I? <laughs> Listen, our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, he's better than that. He doesn't give shabby substitutes for that which we ask. And by the way, this same principle applies when we ask and he doesn't give exactly what we asked for. Keller says it like this. If you understand prayer in family terms, our heavenly father always gives exactly what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. And that's immensely helpful to me. So our time's gone. Let me finish with this. Here's my conviction. I believe that God wants to do great things with this church and with this church family. I believe it because it's in the very next chapter, Luke 12, where it says, to whom much is given, much will be required. And I think back over the last many years, and we've seen God do great things. We've seen God bless us immensely. And yet, it does occur to me that if we are not yet really a house of prayer, folks, doesn't that mean that we're leaving an awful lot on the table? Because God never invited us to receive his blessing so that we could manage a nice, respectable church and nice, respectable families with middle and upper middle class lifestyles. Jesus gives us what he gives us, and then he says, guys, I want you to charge the gates of hell, and they're not going to prevail against my kingdom. I want you to cast your net so wide that it is as if they will break from the size of the catch. Be bold. Bold enough to bother them. Pray audaciously. Great, big prayers that when they get answered, there can be no mistake. It must have been God who did this. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.